0: get your first book for just 9.99 by using the code chirp CHIRP one more time that's bookofthemonth.com use the code chirp and get reading Hey everybody, the Other People Podcast is offered freely. Every episode of this show is available to you for free, nearly 600 episodes and counting. If you would like to throw a few bucks in the hat and support the cause, you can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod, patreon.com slash otherpplpod. You can also rate and review the program on iTunes. That helps if you have a few minutes and you don't mind. I would appreciate it. Thank you.
1: You are not alone. You have found other people. You, you and I hit have a present promise. Every stupid
0: thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. It's it's less, less, you know? It was be incredible, in but your head exploded. I'm it running on an really and, and now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Hello, everybody. What's going on? I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. It's nice to be with you. I hope you're well. Shane Jones is back on the program for a second time. It's been a few years since I talked with him. He is celebrating the publication of a new novel. It is called Vincent and Alice and Alice. It's out there now from Tyrant Books, and uh, it is the official August pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. The NervousBreakdown.com is my online culture magazine and literary community. We pick a book every month. You read the book. I interview the authors here on the program. In fact, I think we did a book club author last week too, because of a delay. So two weeks in a row, TNB book club authors. If you want to know more about the book club, just go to the nervousbreakdown.com sign up. So great time talking with Shane. We, we got into it. We got into some stuff that's coming up. I am actually uh, out of town this week. I'm posting this before I leave. I'm in uh, the Great White North visiting my in-laws, hanging out in the uh, Middle West. So as this airs, I don't know what I'm up to. Probably getting swarmed by mosquitoes. Uh, I could be swimming in a lake. I don't know. But picture me there, if you will. Otherwise, I just want to bitch about something for a moment. I've been doing a lot of work in cafes lately just because I've been running myself fairly ragged. It's a pretty intense work cycle that I'm in, and I, uh, I have to get out of the house or out of the garage. Otherwise, I just get too foggy and tired or something. So it helps me to be in public. You can't just, like, put your head down and go to bed, which, I mean, I suppose you could, but I don't. So I go out. I bring Twiggy, my dog, with me. And she's a beautifully behaved animal. She, you know, she's trained. She'll come, she'll like sit, she'll lie down like right under my chair and like curl up and go to sleep. That's where I'm at with this dog. She's the light of my life. And, uh, I take her to this, uh, cafe near my house to get some work done. And it's on an outdoor patio, open air. And I go in and I just like, you know, I say Twiggy, like get into the chair, go on, lie down. She lies down. No problems. I open up my computer. I'm starting to work. And I hear this dude at the table to my left, just start bitching about the fact that I brought my filthy dog into a cafe. Meanwhile, we're outside. Meanwhile, she's like sleeping under my chair. Several feet away from him. And I, th- I mean, I think I had earbuds in, but I wasn't listening to anything. So maybe they thought I couldn't hear them, but I could totally hear them. I was like, what kind of asshole are you? Like, I get it. If the dog is inside, I can see that as a legitimate complaint. And in particular, if the dog isn't behaving itself and is somehow intruding on your personal space or, you know, causing some sort of a uh, legitimate upset, but like a perfectly trained dog. Can't like lie five feet away from you. Like you're so, what, what's going to happen? What are you so scared of? Fucking Nazi. It's like people get out, all, you know, they're all out of whack. The last thing you should be worried about is a perfectly behaved dog. Like worry about people. What, you worried about contamination? Are you worried about uh, cleanliness? Like, why don't you go back into the kitchen where whoever made your food is working? Why don't you demand a kitchen tour if you're so concerned? I simply cannot trust human beings who don't like dogs. Don't see the uh, beauty in a dog or a cat. What's your problem? These are the people who need dogs. I guarantee you this person doesn't have a dog. Get a fucking dog. And then come back and just like apologize for being so fucking thunderously stupid. Just beg for my forgiveness. <laughs> anyway. Don't fuck with my dog, man. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. a terrific book and it is, uh, been generating a lot of, uh, great response from readers and critics alike. It is out there now from Tyrant Books, one of our best and, uh, most interesting indie presses on a consistent basis. There's nothing they put out that, uh, isn't, uh, terrific. So very excited to share this conversation with you. Really enjoyed catching up with Shane and checking in with him and seeing where he is as this book makes its way out into the world here he is folks this is Shane Jones and his novel one more time is called Vincent and Alice and Alice
1: I read somewhere like I don't know if somebody tweeted something about a three act structure and then I like I think I replied or I tweeted, like, I don't even know what a 3 x structure is. So I, I did research it and like how the, how things are supposed to move in three acts. And Vincent and Alice and Alice does have like a specific three acts as far as like Vincent's, the background, the setup, him going through the training, the reveal of the perversion of Alice, and then the kind of the, the big conclusion of getting rid of Alice and the real Alice coming back. So it does mock that. Uh, one book, that I kept looking at was a uh, fight club. It's so, like fight club always felt like a really mainstream book to me. I mean, the movie gets even more credit, but like that book it's short, it's fast, it's really accessible. The voice is really strong. So I like would look at, at that book and I don't, I don't necessarily even like fight club. Um, but the book was helpful. I think it weighs, to write more of a mainstream style and then other stuff, just like pulling back on some of like the language stuff and the fantasy stuff that I would get wrapped up in with before. So I would try to edit myself a little bit.
0: And what about the premise of the book? Cause it is a strong, uh, premise. It feels Spike Jonesy or, uh, uh what's the word? What's the gut? Charlie Kaufman. You know, like there's a lot of, uh... I don't know like i feel like it's really like psychologically and emotionally astute but it's got this um you know sort of sci-fi element i'm curious to know the origin story of how the idea came to you and and how you built out the world
1: yeah ter- eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is like an influence also like i would look at clips of that while i was writing because that was like a really i feel like that was a mainstream movie but also really kind of like artsy and strange um just something i wanted to do But the concept, the conceptual piece of it came about, well, first of all, I I wanted to write an office novel since like probably 2012, 2013, but didn't really know how to do it. And then I was writing something completely different that was more like just brainstorming, like crazy ideas. One of the ideas in that, which was like thirty, forty thousand 40,000 words, was this idea of a group. Called patrol for everyday repetition and they would kind of bring people up and, and through repetition and routine people would see their ideal lives so like that was the one part of drafting all those words that I was able to pull out and then apply to this book that's that's where the concept I mean that's like years and years ago and then once that clicked and I already had the voice of Vincent and then it was just a matter of combining those kind of two elements
0: Isn't it amazing how you can work on something for a long time, like hundreds and hundreds of pages. And the only thing that really comes of it is that like this, you know, maybe one page or a few pages that provide the kernel for an entirely different project.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, I think probably the first time that had really happened. Like the other books did kind of go one to the next, but like, I mean, I, since 2014, I had written a bunch of other stuff that didn't go anywhere. And like, exactly what you just said. Like I was able to pull that one and it was only like maybe a couple paragraphs. Like that was just the most interesting thing out of all of that writing. Like I think it had to be at least 40,000 words and like the rest of it was just trash. But like, I just, I think sometimes you have to write like there's a bridge to get to the next project and you have to get over the bridge, no matter how difficult or troubling it is.
0: Well, and how troubling was it? Like, it, you know, you were obviously able to, oh, to finish the book, but did you, I mean, you, I mean, you must've been frustrated.
1: Yeah. Cause I had written another, like I wrote a entire collection of stories that didn't really go anywhere. I had an agent send those out and nobody wanted them. And then I had written another whole project that was like a half novel, half memoir, and that didn't go anywhere. So it was like, years and years of kind of like failed projects until this one really clicked a few years ago and then at least it it, i guess it it did go somewhere and get published but um this is it's been the most difficult project that i've ever done that's for sure
0: did vincent and alice did vincent and alice and alice feel uh when you, you you say it clicked did the writing feel markedly different from the other projects you were working on? Like, did you, did you say to yourself like, okay, this is it?
1: It's a good question. Cause I think I felt excited about all those projects. This one, I guess maybe a little bit more. It's, it's hard to tell. Cause like when you get excited about a project, like, I don't know, the excitement levels are always higher. You think like, this is the best thing ever. Like, I'm going to win the National Book Award. Or at least at least I think that way. Like, I am just, this is going to be, like, the biggest thing ever. But uh, this, I guess it felt a little bit different. It's hard to tell. I don't really know. I don't have an answer.
0: I think it's nice to hear somebody be honest about that. Like, we all, I think, experience, if you're invested in a project and you work on it for a long time, and you're there with it pretty much every day, like these delusions of grandeur are bound to creep in. I think it's just a natural part of the process. You almost have oh, to. Oh, yeah. It's like, I think it's like evolutionarily, if that's uh, a word,
1: necessary. Well, there's that whole, like, is it, how do you pronounce her name? Jean Reyes. She has that whole quote about, you know, she just wanted to be like, well, like the ocean is literature, and then, you know, Faulkner and the other greats are like the big streams going into the ocean. But she was content with being like the little stream as long as she was like part of the ocean and like I like that but at the same time like I was thinking like if I'm when I'm writing like this book I want it to be better than everybody else's book like I really do like and I think it's better than everybody else's book and another part of it is and I've been thinking this a lot like I don't like a lot of these other books being published like I hate them like when I read these lists and then I get excited about the newest thing coming out and then I go check it out or I buy it and I just can't stand it. So like that's part of it too. And I think writers never admit that is like writing the book you want to see out in the world and believing that it's better than everybody else's.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think like where I meet you on that is that I have a hard time picking up books, maybe especially contemporary books uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she was like, "Yeah, I, I, I prefer when the author is dead." <laughs> I don't know what that says yeah. about me. I, you know, maybe there it adds some sort of poignancy to it, or it removes some element that gets in my way. But the truth is that I have a hard time accessing almost every book, and I don't know if I hate the book or the author for it. I think I think I, I wind up hating myself. I'm like, "What is wrong with me?" Like, I'm such a. Yeah. You know, I, I wind up wondering
1: if there's like a dysfunction in me. I think we talked about this before, back in, was it 2000? (laughs) When did we talk? I don't know. Was it, was it for 2014? We talked about something similar and I had a different answer. Well, I'm glad I, I, I'm glad I've made no progress
0: since we last spoke.
1: (laughs) That's, that's, that's fine. (laughs)
0: That's, that's
1: okay. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I know a lot of the books that come out, like, I just don't like them and I don't think they're very good. And I I think my book is a lot better. So I think that's part of like wanting to create more stuff. It's just like to get better personally, but just like to put out the best possible thing. Are you or do you feel
0: a sense of bitterness towards uh, big publishers?
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. But I wonder, too, if it's like my fault or like maybe those books before weren't that strong um like light boxes did all right and then another part of me is like i shouldn't really care about sales and like all this stuff at all but it's hard not to think about it and then it's also like as you get older like i'll be 40 next year you kind of find like different reasons to write like it's your first novel is totally different where there's a lot of like ego involved and you want to I don't know, prove to your dad or somebody that you can do this. And you know, you think you're going to be famous, all, all these different things. But like, as you get older, like you get calmer, but then also like start to look for more feedback or like you want to see like what people are saying about it. I, I'm starting to ramble now, but um, maybe you know what I mean?
0: I do. I, I know what's making me think about is that I have a lot of nostalgia for youth. Um, hopefully, yeah. hopefully not too much. But it's really hard i mean i'm forty i just turned forty four okay and uh I don't care like i i really don't i i'm i'm relatively accepting of age, but I'll be out like working at a coffee shop or just out in public, and you see like young love or You know, or I'm like online and I'm reading about somebody who's like excited about their debut novel or, you know, any of those experiences of your youth, your 20s, when you have all that energy and vitality and idealism and time and, you know, life hasn't maybe beat you up too much. And it's so beautiful and it's so gone, you know, and yeah, and it's going to go for those people, too. It's just, you know, there's no avoiding it, but it's hard not to just like just feel that ache. Um, it's, it's really, it's beautiful. And it's so sad that it's all, it's all in the rearview mirror, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be like the 40 year old white guy thinking that all the time, but somebody <laughs> did say, I think it might have, I don't know if it was Wallace or so, but like he was saying how like in tw- your twenties, especially before you release your first book, like you're reading these big writers that you love, like, Beckett and Faulkner and whoever else you want to throw out there and like you really do believe that you can create like the same type of art like you really think like you can do it like and then when you get older especially if you publish books and stuff it's like no like you're not you're not going to get there like it's just like impossible um, which I think is okay like I think you just find your own lane and like do your own thing and then you know you keep putting out your own work and, trying, and it just keep getting better and better.
0: I'm endlessly fascinated by why certain writers wind up making louder noise than others. Uh, like something in their in their vibration, something in whatever it uh, it is, like all of these, you know, infinite um, elements that contribute to who they are and how they think and express themselves and perceive the world resonates to uh, a very high degree for some reason, and I don't think they know why. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows why um but no it, it I happens think
1: part of it is like luck and marketplace and knowing the right people and then also having like a really an amazing a really amazing book um i don't know who I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody like where it all clicks i get like otessa moshfag like it all clicks for her like she's got everything like the total package and great name gives great interviews like it all it all just kind of works so like I think that some of those people, uh, it seems like a, about right, but I know what you're saying. We're like, kind of like, wow, like why did that person got all those awards or why are they being reviewed in all these different places? And I'm not, you know, like it's just natural to think that.
0: Yeah. And, and just, uh, I guess I'm like, I'm also just interested in that. Like what mysterious, like magical element to it. Um, you know, where there's something in there Uh, I always call it their vibration. (laughs) I don't know how else to characterize it. Um, But I guess like a question that arises out of that conversation is in light of the difficulties of the marketplace where, you know, the big publishers in particular are just looking at numbers and being uh, oftentimes pretty corporate about it. I wonder if there's a book that let's say it vibrates really well and just cuts through and changes people's temperature um with real consistency like wouldn't wouldn't a book like that cause a big publisher to take a chance just go hey you know maybe this guy or this girl's uh, last you know couple of books didn't do great numbers but everybody who read this thing just like wept or whatever like they'd have to respond or is it that or do you think it's like that like you know, machine like and robotic and numerical. I
1: I mean, I don't know. I mean, what do you mean as far as like a, like a, like an author's third or fourth novel by like a small publisher? Like if it got like a huge response.
0: No, I'm just saying like like you you submit like, like you have like a publishing uh, history and sales track record that doesn't like wow, big publishers or make them feel um, like secure, you know, in the financial risk part of it. But the book that you've written and submitted is just like, uh, it just I don't oh, know. I see what you're saying. Like everybody reads it and and cries or something. Like it would be so. Uh, I, I guess I'm I just... sure.
1: I'm sure it exists. I'm sure that's happened before. Or, or just like agents always talk about, like you know, you just need somebody to like fall in love with it, like that kind of thing. So like, I'm sure that's. I mean, like the Sheila Hetty book. I think that was rejected by everybody then it was published in canada and then an editor henry holt she loved it and sent it around to everybody in the office and they loved it too so then they decided to publish it and it got a really good response so maybe it's like timing and i mean i really don't know you're, you're probably asking the wrong person
0: <laughs> well are you talking about how should a person be yeah 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 that's a, i love that book that's yeah, great um, so let's talk about work existence, uh, cause this really resonates with me. Like I have, I think it resonates with a lot of people, anyone who's ever had a day job and especially one where you are like highly routinized and, uh, nine to five and the, um, uh, the social aspects and performative aspects of being an employee and, you know, understanding and relating to people in a work context, which is totally different than understanding and relating to people just on a personal level at like a kid's birthday party or, a, you know, some other kind of social gathering. And uh, your book is really sharp in its satire of this culture and what it does to people.
1: Well, a lot of it feels artificial, I mean, not, not in the book, hopefully, but like work workspaces, office, like it feels artificial, and it's. I think a lot of the times, it's hard to figure out where you know the person's title ends and the actual human being begins. You know, like so and so is the director of communications for some company, but like they're that person and that label, but then there's also like the human being aspect side to it. So like that's something I'm really interested in
0: yeah i I feel like uh there is a level of like energy expenditure that happens to me or at least happened to me in one of my last jobs where I was in office nine to five Monday through friday uh, mm-hmm. like compared to uh jobs I've had where I'm working from home most of the time or have more autonomy in terms of control of my schedule it's just it's like significantly less draining. And yet the workload is an entire, isn't all that much different. It's just like the having to go in and, I guess, perform my title and relate to people with different titles in accordance with whatever I sure. think that means. And man, there's a part of me that just wants to be like, hey, how's it going? We're going to die. How you feeling? You know, <laughs> you know like yeah. let's cut the shit. Like, this is so fucking Well, it's
1: great. Yeah. I mean, Vincent in the book is a character that breaks through the wall at times, but he's also resigned. To his office and the routine and all he can really think about besides alice is his pension in the future which is a really common thing in, in a lot of offices people are just working towards their retirement but i've had moments where i've broken through that wall like i remember years and years ago i was in a meeting and uh, i was looking out the window and i was just like in a bad mood or something and i i just said out loud i said none of this matters like kind of as a joke, but not really. And other people laughed too, but it was like a moment where it was like true. Like none of the stuff we're talking about really matters. But like and then it, you know, went right back to talking about whatever it is we were talking about. But um those moments are really, really interesting. What do, what do you do for a living again? I think we talked about this last time. I work an office job, Brad. I I work uh I work in the New York state Senate. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yep. So,
0: um, what, but I mean, I feel like those kinds of moments, uh, can be deeply appreciated at least in certain quarters, you know, especially if tonally mm-hmm. they're right. If they come on, if they come across as too angry or bitter or insubordinate <laughs> oh, or something, yeah. it can be, it can be problematic. And even if they don't, sometimes people can take offense. If you, you know, poke a hole in the artifice of, uh, you know, the, the workplace social construct.
1: Yeah, most most people get it. I feel like most people do like appreciate that stuff. What I've noticed like in the past year is myself like giving in more towards to, to the artifice and like the routine. Like this is the first year where I got really into like wearing nice suits and like picking out ties and things like that. And it, like it's kind of comforting and like a disturbing kind of way. Like you can like really give yourself into it and like get into going to different meetings and one thing like my job i always talk about like the business card scene in american psycho it's it's similar here to that but it's like with guys and their ties like everyone's always like checking out each other's ties and then like there's like a hierarchy of who has like the nicest suits And i remember i would always walk by this one guy and uh he was like, look, at my suits. And I was like, he's going to say something one day, like, I'm just going to get it. And then there was like, one day we were at some kind of event and he like came up to me and he was like, I really like your suits. Where do you get them? And it broke into this whole conversation about like suit design and our waist sizes and all this, like, and it's like, it's insane, right? Like, it's really crazy. But also I was giving into it and like, it's kind of like, intoxicating in its toxicity like you kind of just go with it and you're like yeah like this is it and like i was thinking about it night. i was like googling like you know i wonder how i wear a bow tie maybe i'll do that tomorrow <laughs> like you can you just it's amazing it's amazing what like you can do and then get really into it no matter how like i think damaging it probably can be to like if you want to talk about like the human soul and it's almost like boiling frog theory, you know, like if the frogs in the water and the water just keeps getting hotter and hotter, they won't notice it until like it's boiling and the frog dies. Like, but if you threw the frog right into the boiling water, it would try to jump out. So that's, that's my work environment.
0: No. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. And I think like, I wonder sometimes to myself if my like, you know, inner criticism and discomfort around these things and the way that I obsess about it and try to kind of pick it apart and the ways in which I feel maybe self-protective. I don't want like the best part of myself to become damaged by the pursuit of money or the pursuit of approval in this sort of like phony construct and all this stuff. I'm like, do like quote unquote effective humans, like effective professional humans, they must think differently. Like, like I'm talking about like super achiever people or whatever. Oh yeah, you know. And like, do I just have like a bad fucked up attitude? And like, do I need to like recalibrate like my perspective? And would that just make my life a lot more smooth sailing? Do you see what, do you see what I'm getting no, at?
1: I, uh, I mean, you're just not wired that way, though. Like those people are just built that way. Like they're driven as far as like like money and and their their status and whatever job title they have like that's their whole identity and a lot of the times they don't really have much outside of that like even those people that have kids like you can't even picture them like really being a parent like they're just wired differently and it's all about the job and like you know climbing the corporate ladder or like getting to the next step or the next raise and they they, there's like that's all they think about where, I mean, you, you don't work an office job now, right?
0: No, I mean, no, I work a, a job job, but I don't, we all work from home and it's like, it, it's kind of a unique arrangement for a company where like the right. people, the people who run it uh, like really don't want to get an office for as long as they can. Right. They want to try to avoid that for, I think for some of the same reasons, which is cool.
1: And you're, I mean, even, I, I mean, I have a son you have kids, so like when you're at your job, you're probably thinking about, about them and like you know what's for dinner and th- like planning for the weekend. These people that are like super achievers and you know they're the top of whatever. Like I don't really believe that they think that way at all. Like it's just they don't even that's not on the radar. You know it's just like job, job, job.
0: I, I think actually there are some people for whom like the quote unquote having it all is part of the badge of honor and achievement. It's like I'm going to have. The C-suite job with the seven-figure salary, a piece of equity. Um, you know, I'm gonna do CrossFit in the morning before work and make it to my kids' baseball game in the evening. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're gonna do every fucking thing, and that just sounds exa- exhausting to me. You know
1: Well, the question is, like, do those people? Do they find meaning in those activities? Like, that's what I would be like curious about. Like, I don't even I don't think happiness and there's a part in Vincent and Alice and Alice where Vincent even says, you know, to the question, are you happy? He kind of shrugs and says, you know, I don't think happiness is part of the deal. And I think about that, too. Like, I don't think happiness is part of the deal, but finding meaning and what you're doing or something you're doing is probably the most important thing. Cause if there's no meaning to it, even if you've achieved all that, I, I don't know, like people talk about, you know, like your day of reckoning before you die. Like you, 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 you immediately think, you know, did I live like a worthwhile life? That those people are thinking about all the things you just mentioned. I, I, I don't know. Um, like writing books and creating art, I think is really meaningful. I think it's one of the most important things people can do. um, That people don't do it enough. So I I guess it's an issue of meaning.
0: Yeah, and I I also like keep thinking back to this whole idea of wiring. You know, because it it certainly does seem like that has a big impact on where we land and how we function in life. And I'm thinking of a friend of mine's older brother, and it's like it's pure comedy uh, looking back on it because this friend's older brother is today like a titan of industry he is a millionaire many times over or if he's not now he's going to be he's just killing it you know in (laughs) in the corporate sense and i think i i think the very first time i ever laid eyes on the older brother was in junior high my friend who was kind of relatively he was my new friend at that point we hadn't been friends for very long and he's like hey you know, my older brother's in high school and he plays on the baseball team. Like, let's go to his game after school. So I was like, all right. And I remember we like rode our bikes or walked over to the, the baseball field and like walked up into the bleachers just as like the announcer, like called out over the bullhorn, like now stepping to the plate, you know, and it was his older brother and he steps to the plate and on the first pitch hit a fucking home run. <laughs> <laughs> just like crushed it out of the stadium. He was the captain of the team. And like my friend, meanwhile, was sort of like a more of like a, a fuck up, you know, like a ne'er do well, he'd get in trouble and he didn't get good grades and, you know, all the rest. Um, but it was there then, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's in the position that he's in now. It was, it was completely imprinted on him probably from birth almost unless I'm missing something.
1: Yeah. I mean, possibly, um I don't know. Something else I just thought of too, uh, in relation to what we're talking about. My father in law, who passed away like two years ago, he had a a story where he ran into like an old high school friend who was like super successful. And so he asked him, he was like, How are you? And you know, the friend listed off all these different things he accomplished. And then my father all looked at him and then he said again, he goes, No, but how are you? And I think about that a lot. Like trying to really ask like, how are you like, you know, you've listed all these things you've accomplished, but like, it doesn't necessarily mean you're all right. You know, I,
0: yeah, that speaks to me a ton. And
1: yeah, now, I, I just, I love that.
0: Well, and I, I, uh, I think I, I tweeted something about this the other day, like that very sentiment, but sort of in a jokey way where, you know, when you go to parties and the adults are standing around and somebody's like, so what do you do? Or so how's work? <laughs> yeah. I think I said like instead of responding or instead of like actually responding to the question, I, I instead say something like, "Let's not busy ourselves with such trifles as death is never far," you know, like, yeah. which is like you know a completely like socially unacceptable uh, response in some way, like, like tonally. But it's what I want to say because I just don't care. Like the older I get, the less I care yeah. about any of that stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you're going to be when you're like 75 or 80, you're going to be be off the wall.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what I'll be. You know, I feel like, I think I, I feel like sometimes like I should have been a monk because you can just completely, it's like the only way I can think of where you can be fully contemplative and divorced from, uh, money or, um, you know, any kind of breadwinning concern, I mean, I say this sort of tongue-in-cheek, it's, but there's a part of me that... It's like It's still an
1: identity, though. It's still, like, a, a label, and I, I, I hate to say it, but I think it's still almost like a job title. Like, yeah. I know there's, like, the spiritual elements, but, like, it's still, I think, and it goes to, like, none of us know what the fuck we're doing and why we're here, and we're always searching for some kind of identity or label. Like, we have to do it. You know, like, there's no... it's. I, I don't know, like I think about people that are, you know, I think about, I think about somebody like Mark Balmer, who like seemed otherworldly and almost like a superhuman. And like, I, I think about him an awful, awful lot of somebody that's like one of the most genuine people I've ever met. Why and we, I think we should, very... we should,
0: we should stop and like give listeners who don't know who Mark Balmer is, uh, like an idea and, and also let them know what happened.
1: Well, it's going to go against the stuff I've just been saying because I'm going to label him with a lot of stuff. But he was, I mean, Mark Balmer was a poet, an activist, an environmentalist. Um, He did art projects. One of his things was, you know, walking across America to raise funds for climate change. Um, It's really hard to describe because there's so much. And when I went to his memorial uh, benefit in Providence, Rhode Island, Each person that spoke about his life, it was like a totally different aspect. Where like one person was like his like college, I think baseball player, uh, co-player or something, and he was like and he talked about how Mark was like the best baseball player and like I stuff I I had no idea. And then like his family had personal stories. Then people in the community. um, There was I think a restaurant where. The waiters and waitresses weren't receiving their tips, and they were trying to fight the owners for their money. And Mark was one of the first people that showed up to fight for him. Like He's just this, like, amazing person. Um, but everybody who doesn't know Mark Balmer should should look him up and see what happened. He was, he was tragically killed in a, a car accident while he was walking across America. Barefoot. Barefoot he had, he had done it before with shoes on and this time he was doing it barefoot, just unbelievable.
0: Yeah. That's a terribly sad story, but I hear you, you know, like I didn't know him. Um, I emailed with him a little bit and I, uh, you know, in the aftermath of his death was like watching a lot of his, uh, videos and so on and so forth. And there is a kind of purity, you know, there are those people out there, um, who sort of, uh, prove that it can be done you know you can live um maybe in accordance with your highest ideals and um you don't necessarily have to follow it's inspiring you know you don't necessarily have to follow the herd um and he certainly didn't
1: no he's one of the rarest ones and i wish i could be more like him but i'm probably more like vincent in the novel which is like I'm thinking about my health insurance, you know, and I'm thinking about the routine and I need the structure because I don't want to lose the structure. What would happen if I didn't have my nine to five? Like that kind of thought process.
0: Well, you know, you talk about meaning and you talk about um that being the most important thing. I can say that having kids um and in particular my son is disabled um so we have like an there that adds a layer and it has sort of made some decisions for me in terms of my work life. Like I have family responsibilities and obligations that I very- how, how is
1: he disabled? I'm curious. Um, He's
0: got some physical disabilities, uh, his, um, you know, neurologically. So the left side of his body doesn't work, uh, as well as it should. So he's four and he's not walking yet, you know, so stuff like that. He's also Mm -hmm. got epilepsy, um, which we have at bay with medication, you know, knock on wood, and he's got a genetic disorder, which, uh, you know, is difficult and may or may not cause like some cognitive function difficulties. We just don't know yet. So it's, uh, it's really tough. And it's like, what I say at least lately is that it has made some decisions for me and that's sure. not necessarily a bad thing, you know, cause I was having trouble making them on my own anyhow. Um, but it, it's certainly, you know, in the face of like professional stress or difficulty or pursuits, you know, I think when you have a child, uh, ab- you know, abled or not, uh, you know, that adds some meaning to what you're doing and adds meaning to your life.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I I agree completely.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have like responsibilities bigger than yourself, you know?
1: Yeah. You start to, I mean, a lot of the cliches hold true. Like you start looking at things differently, like you said. And I mean, I don't know how you feel and maybe it's even more for you, but like how heartbreaking A lot of it is like watching a child, like grow up and like, just like knowing what they're going to have to face and you want to protect them, but you don't want to protect them too much. And am I doing the right thing? Am I doing a good job? Um, Like a lot of it, it's, it's just really hard. And I I, like half of it feels like 50% heaven, 50% hell a lot of the time, you know, like it's just like going back and forth. At least I feel that way.
0: Yeah. And like, you know, it's also, they're also like speaking of like, uh, you know, social constructs and, and titles, you know, your title is dad, right. In this little, like this little system Mm -hmm. that is your family. And you feel like you have to perform in a certain way in that role. And to, to an extent you do, you know, you're driving the bus, you brought the kid here and they're expecting you to, uh, steer the ship for a while at least. And, you know, to provide and take care of them and love them and all that kind of stuff. But I have moments as a dad, especially after like a low moment of which there are probably too many where I like lose my temper or I'm just a fool, you know, and, um,
1: Well, you're probably not a fool. Like I, I think one major problem is in in America, like the dad is kind of like a joke. Like, and it I mean, even from like Homer Simpson or like, you know, there's America's funniest videos where the dad's always getting hit in the crotch or the dad's always doing something stupid. Like, I hate that. Like, you know, and then you get labeled dad or dad jokes like that. I wish that stuff could change, you know, because like as a dad, a lot of the time, you know, like a lot of it's like showing up and then, you know, being there emotionally, physically, like, there's there's a lot to it. Like, it's not like you shouldn't feel like a fool. Like, do you feel like a fool because you don't know what you're doing or because
0: just because I'm doing it know. poorly, just because I'm like, like, and what I, what I'll do sometimes with my daughter, cause she's older, you know, she's, uh, almost about to turn nine. Sometimes I'll just be like, I'm sorry. Like I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> and like the mask sort of slips <laughs> a little bit, you know, like I'm just, I'm doing the best I can. I don't have this by the tail fully. And they're actually really sweet moments. She'll just be like, it's okay, dad. Like, you know, like I know you're struggling is basically like, it's almost like a role reversal or like a preview of coming attractions, but it feels good in a way, you know, you don't want to live like that too much, but it's nice to have little moments of honesty. I, I actually think my daughter appreciates it. Like not only the apology, but also just the acknowledgement that like, oh, I goofed, you know, um, hopefully that's a good yeah. thing to do.
1: Well, the opposite end of the spectrum would be like, you wouldn't give a shit at all. And then you would just leave. <laughs> or like you would just be like, I can't do this. And, you know, you could just go off and start another life, which is what my grandfather, my father's father did. Like he couldn't handle it. My father was like two or three and he just left and then moved to Texas. And then later on started a whole new family there, which didn't even know about his previous kids like people, which I can't ever imagine doing, like, there's just no way. Um, but people do it, you know, people, I think men, especially, they just can't handle it. And they, uh, you know, they desert their kids and their, their spouses.
0: That's the, but the psychic burden that you have to carry, I would imagine has got to be extreme.
1: Yeah. Kind of like, there Will be blood extreme when right. he's like on his knees, like yelling, I've forsaken my child, or <laughs> whatever. Like, yeah, I would, I would think so, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. People are crazy.
0: So, did you have uh the Paul Mazursky novel, Bob and Ted, and from Kent Carroll and Alice? I think, did that even uh, like come into the picture at all when you were titling your book?
1: I don't even know what you're talking about
0: oh there's a paul Mazursky movie right. from like the the 60s called bob and carol and ted and alice and i was just like it popped into my mind just because no um, no okay well maybe you should watch never, it
1: <laughs> maybe i should yeah but how did no, the, i've never heard of it sorry
0: how did the title uh, come into being it's a great i think it's a great title
1: so Back to like the mainstream thing, I I was trying to pick the most like mainstream title and just had stuck with Vincent and Alice, like just like classic, this is a really modern love story. Don't get too crazy. And then a friend of mine was like, what about Vincent and Alice and Alice? I was like, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Like you kind of know, I think with titles, titles are always really hard. I don't know if you struggle with titles, but when you have it usually like, you know, like it clicks.
0: Yeah. It feels, I mean, it feels like it says what it is. It's perfect. There's humor in it. Um, like I think it's. When my
1: father, when my father read it, he was like, he made this face and he went, Hmm, threesome. (laughs) And that's something that I didn't think of at all. He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. So, (laughs) but I love the title. It's probably, I think it's my favorite title out of any of the books I've written. And by the way, it's kind of hard. It's hard to say to people. That's the only thing. Because yeah, but... people are like, they always ask like, oh, and Alan? Or like, they get kind of confused.
0: You should just be like, it's about a threesome. But which, by the way, is very mainstream. You know, I feel like the audiences want threesomes.
1: <laughs> I, I think a mistake was made in the pitch in the book. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. I think there, I was, a, it,
0: but... there was a uh, conference room meeting at uh, at Knopf where they were like, hey, I thought this was about a threesome. You know, what, what kind of book is this?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I dropped the ball. <laughs>
0: Um, so did you, do you feel in retrospect, having making uh, you know, having made this attempt to, did I just say having Macon, uh, I think so. <laughs> having made this attempt to, um, work in a more mainstream vein, do you feel like you got it out of your system? Do you feel like you're likely to continue in this vein? Did you enjoy it? Did you learn like valuable things from it? Or was it, you know, was it like trying on a shirt that didn't fit?
1: No, I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed, like, changing my style and writing in, like, shorter, more declarative sentences. I've never written an entire book in first person. Like, just things I hadn't done before and trying to make it more simple. Um, A friend of mine who read the book, because I talked about the mainstream thing with him, and he was like, no, no, man, like, it's still you. Like, you can't, and he had read the previous books. Like, you just can't get away from you. You know, so it's like, what I might think is, like, more of a straightforward novel it's still not from other people that have read it and read my past stuff um i don't know if i'll continue writing in it maybe um i don't have any projects lined up and i haven't really written anything at all since this book for years so i i, I have no idea i guess it depends on like if an idea clicks uh how how the format will be
0: so wait you haven't written anything for how long like when did this, when did you wrap this book? And then like, that's when you, you basically just you were on empty and you just stopped for a while.
1: Uh, I think I probably turned in what was kind of the final draft back in November, but then I was still doing edits and copy edit type stuff right up until like April. But I mean, besides this book, I haven't written anything else really. Um, so it's, it's been a while
0: yeah but it did not I thought it was like years, but it's it's uh you've been consumed with this. I think you need to have a break most of the time. I mean there are those I pe- think so there are those people who like you know like Joyce Carol Oates like like writes the last line to you know book a and like then starts book b like the you know thirty seconds later.
1: <laughs> how many books does she have? I don't know Two, she eight. like like, like seventy five now like wow like I don't know like I guess. She can do it. It hey, might as well. Like she's kind of a genius, so she can just crank out novel after novel. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, talk about wiring, but you, yeah. you know, I've read, uh, I, I read, was reading some interviews you did and you talked about when you were really in the thick of writing Vincent and Alice and Alice, you, you know, you, your level of focus and attention, um, you know, unfolded to the exclusion of pretty much everything. Like, can you talk about that, like that level of commitment and the decision-making process that goes into it and what the costs might be?
1: Yeah, so when I was I mean, in the thick of it, as far as like the drafting and editing, and I don't know how long, I mean, the most intense period was probably like about eight months. I might actually have that wrong. I'd have to check my notes and stuff, but I wasn't doing anything else. Like, what I mean by that is like, even at work, I was trying, you know, working on it, thinking about it at night in the morning, you know, I'm not exercising. Um, I really don't have any friendships and I'm not trying to be dramatic, but like not seeing people, no social engagements whatsoever besides like Christmas and things like that. So it's just 100% focus on the book and nothing else. So like book all the time, even, you know, to bed by like eight o'clock at night, And sleeping as much as possible getting up and then thinking about the book again well why why to bed at eight o'clock at night because i don't want to just well sleep is really important to me getting like a lot of sleep seems to make me creatively a little bit stronger also anytime like i'm up past like eight o'clock i tend to just like look at my phone or go on the internet and i've never been like a night writer or able to do that like even editing at night so it's easier for me just to like go to sleep and like get up the next day and start over
0: so but are you getting up at like four in the morning or do you mean if you go to bed at eight what time do you sleep till
1: about five five thirty
0: so like nine nine and a half hours of sleep
1: yeah damn yep how much do you sleep a night?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like on a, usually between six and seven and a half lately, but I've been crazy with work and you know, um, I don't know. Like, I wish I could get more. I think my, like, I think people have different needs in that department. Like some people need more, some people need a little less. I think I need about like seven, seven and a half hours. Um, but you know, I don't have an alarm clock. And last night I went to bed at about 11 and this morning I woke up at 526. So how many is that? Mm-hmm. S- six and a half hours. It's probably not enough, but I didn't have an alarm wake me up. I just woke up.
1: Do your kids go to bed early? Like my son, I mean, he'll, he be seven next month. He goes to bed by like, he's in bed at seven thirty. So like once he's asleep, I'm kind of like, eh, like maybe I'll just go to sleep too. Like that's part of it. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, do your kids go to bed early
0: uh my son does he's usually down by like 8 7:30 or 8 and then my daughter is you know they start to stay up later <laughs> like she wants to has watch has
1: anyone it. ever asked you that in an interview before what time, what time <laughs> your kids go to bed i do don't feel think like so that's the most bizarre? Uh, all right, first one
0: I appreciate it i'm so I mean at six hundred episodes, I'm always hungry for new uh new questions you know
1: I think people needed to know <laughs> if they've listened this far, they're probably pretty ecstatic that they got that out of you
0: no, but it's actually you know I think uh like scheduling and getting enough sleep is important, especially creatively, but just in terms of life and health in general, and if you're it's like, like, I think ideally I'm always like, I wish we all like we're on the same schedule. So we all go to bed at the same time. Like I have to get up early if I'm going to do any kind of exercise or, uh, like self yeah. care, like any kind of self care at all. For me, the only time window I have is very early in the morning. Um, and I'm pretty dogged about it just because if I don't do that, I don't function well. Like I'm just, that's the way I'm wired. Like I have to have to do that stuff. So did
1: you, are, are you working on a book now?
0: Uh, I mean, mentally I'm chewing on stuff, but like, I've been so consumed with work and so frustrated, like trying to write, um, like auto fiction or a memoir about a dad who's like reeling from, um, multiple miscarriages and the birth of a disabled or the diagnosis of a disabled child. Like that's the book really. And I can't write it in a, in a a way that satisfies me and doesn't feel like just kind of, uh, like a navel gazey bummer or like some sort of victim narrative where I'm the hero, hero suffering or whatever, like the hero of suffering. So it's like a tonal challenge. And then yet it's also for all of its frustration, it feels like this immovable object. Um, Like when I sit down to write or I conceive of writing, like there's nothing else that occurs to me because it's just such a monolithic thing in my life. Um, you know, it seems absurd for me to right. be like, you know what, I'll, I'll write a spy novel just to take my mind off things. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, um, yeah. I, you know, so I'm wrestling with it in some way, but it's like this big, huge block of granite. And I've got like, you know, a spork, you know, is what it feels like.
1: Yeah. Um, I know, uh, a friend of mine, she had like a, she was trying to work on a novel and, uh, she's got two kids and went through a divorce and has a ton of shit going on. So she blocked off like Wednesdays would be her like writing day. So she would just write all Wednesday. But what she found was when Wednesday would come around, she would just think about like everything she had to do for Thursday. So like (laughs) even structuring it, it was just like, well, I have to do the laundry and then, you know, my daughter has to be here. Like it just like constantly go through her head. So I'm able to block that stuff out pretty well. Well, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but like I can detach from that type of stuff and just like lock into a project once it's going. So I'm sure when you wrote your first book, you must've like locked in or had some kind of structure. So I'm, I imagine it would come again eventually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean like it's always going to be on my, on my brain and chasing me around. I think as an order of priority, like breadwinning has to be, um, front and center for me just cause I've got a, keep a roof over our head, but, um, I'll keep, I'll keep messing with it. I just got to get to a place where I feel like, um, I can deliver it. Uh, I don't know. It's so complicated. It's not, it's not just structure. It's not just tone. It's not just the emotional content and the effect that I want to have. It's not just like personal concerns about what to reveal and what to keep close to the vest, you know, for privacy's sake, it's all of those things. And like trying to, yeah you know, mold it all together in a way that I can feel good about, you know, and hopefully it'll come or, or it will just like become less of a concern to me and something else will take over, uh, which I suppose is possible. But sometimes I think there are certain books that you just have to write. Like they're, you're either going to get them, you know, you're either going to work through them or they're just going to sit there forever, you know?
1: I think you're right. Yeah. I don't think you can like outthink it either. Like it's a matter of like sitting down and like at least trying to write, you know, like that's the only way to work through, through it. Like I, I've tried to like just think about projects and then, like mentally get wrapped up in them, but you're not actually writing. Like you're not actually typing anything. So usually it helps when you're typing stuff. Not that I'm trying to give you advice cause you don't need it, but like, you know what I mean? Like you do have to like physically do the work.
0: No, I need the, I need the advice i love the advice no no you don't need the (laughs) advice not from me
1: you've got got other more famous people you've interviewed they can give you good advice um
0: what about like this like the total kind of isolation where you kind of cut the cord between yourself and your social life in order to get creative work done is that something you worry about is that something that you don't give a shit about it's just the it's just the cost of doing business
1: I worry about it as i get older because i see people and i know people that are older and don't have friendships or they don't have like a social circle and they're very isolated and they don't know what to do and that i do worry about um it's something I, i i do think about so i i gotta uh I got to go out and get some friendships, Brad. Are that's you, what. That's what. People are going to hear this and be like, "This sad, sad man. <laughs> He's in the Albany Public Library all by himself." But also, like, I don't know what you think about this, the online stuff, like having a community of writers. Like, I email with people a lot and talk to people, and some of them. I mean, I guess you being one of them. Like, I, I've never met them, but it kind of feels like a friendship. But it's not. It's not the same thing. Like, I'm always shocked by people that. <laughs> are like hosting dinner parties and then they're going hiking with their friends on set. Like they've got all these plans lined up. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I, you know, I, I've got my family stuff with my wife and son, but as far as like any stuff like that, like I just, I just don't do it.
0: Yeah. I, I find I'm right there with you. And it's like, I want to like in some fantasy corner of my mind, I want to be the guy that throws parties and has people over, but it's so exhausting. See, I to me. feel
1: like you are that guy. I don't know why. I feel like you and your wife had those parties in California, you've got like Bermuda shorts on, there's martinis, like, I don't know why I've got it totally wrong.
0: I like being a host, um, but my life is pretty regimented by necessity. Like I've got work all week. I get to Friday, I usually hit the wall. Like my tiredest day of the week is Friday. Like Friday night, I'm typically like, I can't, I can't do anything. I just need to shut down and then i work all day saturday um typically um because i've got to do the podcast or i've got to catch up on stuff or you know i'm always working pretty much 6 days a week and then sunday um is like my re- regen you know rejuvenation day or whatever where i try to hang out with my kids and just relax but yeah. i mean i don't know how like people who have like tons of time uh to read <laughs> Like, like they're like, Oh yeah, I read like four books this week. And you know, I threw a dinner party or I'm like, or or like even something as simple as like, I cooked dinner tonight. I made this incredible, like complicated recipe with like 16 different ingredients and five different dishes. And I'm like, man, what life are people living? Like I, I barely have time to eat.
1: I, first of all, I I don't think that like people read as much as they say they do. Like just because they posted a pretty picture of the book on Instagram doesn't mean they read the entire book. You know, like I, I, I don't believe it. Like those people that are always posting stuff and saying they've read so many books. I, I just don't buy it unless they read like incredibly fast or I don't know how they're scheduling their time. I mean, I love to read. I try to read as much as I could. I've read less this year than I ever have. Um, but especially if you have kids and I hate to say that as an excuse and it's so cliched and another dad type thing, but it's really hard to sit down and read.
0: I've read a shit ton. I've read a shit ton. Yeah. I've read a shit ton of kids books. (laughs) I got, I got a lot of
1: kids books. That's my,
0: that's my diet right there. It's like Dr. Seuss and like, uh, you know, Peppa
1: Pig or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's the one Peppa Pig.
0: Um, so you have not written, uh, like written anything since, um, you know, this book sort of wrapped up. You're in, I think a fairly normal transition period where you're just kind of replenishing your, your energies. Um, is that where things are? Are you starting to have like kernels of ideas or do you have any sort of vision for what you'd like to do next?
1: I do have some notes and things like that, but, uh, Not really. I think part of it is getting the voice out of my system, you know, like, especially like a really, it's like a really strong first person book. So like trying to get away from that, you know, like I just need space from it. Um, Then also recently I've gotten really into exercising and like going to the gym and doing like deadlifts and bench pressing and stuff that I've never thought about before. So like I'm, basically just going to work on my bench press until the end of the year that's my plan
0: i'm i'm right there with you <laughs> yeah. i think lifting i think like, i I, I, t- I tell people that all the time i'm like listen you get into your 40s or whatever especially as a man um and just in general but like you know it's not all you have to do but like lift weights like resistance training is well, good
1: <laughs> well i I don't necessarily know what you like physically. You can send me a, a picture, a nude <laughs> later on, but uh, I'm, I'm like incredibly skinny. So I'm, I'm almost six foot two. And then when I went, I first joined the gym, they do like an assessment, like as far as how you can stretch and all this stuff. And then they weigh you and I weighed in at 159 pounds, which is like really thin for like, I'm six, one and a half. So I've just been trying to like gain weight and then like gain strength. And I th- think I've, I think I've gained almost 10 pounds in two months. So it's like, and it's kind of gratifying. Like there's something like primal or so simple about like seeing your, the weight, the number go up and then also like increasing the weight on the barbell and like lifting more, like I, it sounds so simple, but it's like, yeah, like gotta, gotta get more weight on the bar. Do you ever, but do you ever,
0: I, uh, do you ever read Mark Lehner? Um, uh, like the, the, the guy who wrote my cousin, my gastroenterologist, I think I have his name, right? I,
1: I know who you're talking about, but I've never read him.
0: Yeah. He was like, I think he wrote, he wrote about like, he was, got really into bodybuilding, like lifting weights. Not that I'm into bodybuilding, like in the, like Schwarzenegger no. way, but just like expanding. That'd be cool exp- if you, were, like, if you were just jacked. <laughs> you're just like totally ripped podcaster. <laughs>
1: the podcaster. Um, you should do it. You just get like <laughs> totally, totally jacked and like post pictures.
0: <laughs> just start juicing.
1: Great. Yeah, yeah, just do it up. Now, I mean, your but, wife and kids—they won't care. They'll be fine with it. Yeah, too, my like, yeah.
0: my wife would be if I start to like taking steroids and just uh, like eating nothing but protein or whatever these people have yeah. to do. Like that's that is a. I talked to actually uh, a female bodybuilder author on this show, and uh, you know Katie Arnoldi. This was like way back when, um, but that whole world of you know like taking things to that extreme with trying to change your body and
1: oh yeah there's like a whole like if you start I was talking to Jordan Castro about it because he was like researching like he's he's been exercising and working out and there's these whole like different subcultures and communities online and then like like the power lifters like the guys that are just like all you need to do is squats and deadlifts like they hate the CrossFit people like they think like CrossFit's the worst thing in the world and then the CrossFit people hate them like there's all it's this and like you can go deeper and deeper into it and then do you realize you're like oh my god 3 hours just went by cuz you're like watching all these videos and reading all this stuff <laughs> like do
0: you have a personal trainer or did you just get like like how do you know what to no. do
1: no i just watched a lot of videos online and talked to people and uh at the the assessment that they did with the personal trainer the whole idea of the assessment though is to like get you signed up for the personal trainer lessons so at the end they like write out all these different prices and it's super expensive. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't do it. So I just started going and like just using the barbell, like no weights on it at all. And then like gradually try to get, increase it every time you go.
0: And what is it, how does it uh, affect you? Like, cause I find like exercise is integral to mood management. Not that I'm like crazy depressive, but like, I just don't feel Maybe I just know what it's like to be in shape and fit and, like, exercise-y, uh, but I, I don't feel right unless I do something. Like, have you noticed a shift? Like, after you go to the gym, do you get that, like, uh, upswing or whatever?
1: Yeah. I, I feel way better for about half the day. <laughs> after I exercise, I feel much better. And then the first two weeks that I went, I felt, like, awful. Because like, well, from what I read, like my central nervous system just wasn't used to lifting anything at all for the most part, and working an office job and sitting and writing, like all I just like not prepared for it. So I was like exhausted. But then something clicked after a couple of weeks where you start getting that that hot, not a high, really, just like you just feel good and more level-headed. Um, like today, I should have gone, but I, especially preparing for this interview, but I didn't go, and I feel more. Scatterbrained and like out of it. Then yesterday when I went, I felt much more clear-headed and calm. Yeah. So there's that's probably the most beneficial part. And then just uh just getting jacked arms, man. Just getting huge (laughs) arms. That's, that's all that's all that matters really. That's all anybody cares about, just looking good in a t-shirt.
0: I feel so I feel like something. you should uh I feel like this could potentially be something uh, that of interest to write about in fiction. I think it's funny, like middle-aged men like getting into weights for the first time.
1: <laughs> I don't I don't know how funny it is. I I'm, 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 I'm really not sure like the readership for something like that. But, well,
0: watch it'll be the breakout. It'll be the thing that re- like ripples across the uh, prairie and you know people yeah, scoop like it
1: all- up. We'll be like oh my god we've never seen this before
0: yeah like, uh, well congrats I, my bio photo would look great that's yeah sure. yeah exactly you're gonna I have to, you're gonna have to do like the full torso author shot this time you can't just have like yeah. the headshot. you know you got to make sure people know like what you've accomplished
1: yeah i'll do that next year i'll do like a before and after picture on instagram or something <laughs> that's what people do but well it's just gonna probably look exactly the same
0: <laughs> <laughs> well but i mean uh if you're if you're gaining serious weight, there's got to have to be some kind of difference.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's a little bit of difference. It feels good. It feels real good.
0: All right, man. Well, I uh, I've enjoyed talking with you, and congratulations on Vincent, Alice, and Alice. I'm glad um, we got to do it in the book club, and uh, you know, enjoy the downtime. Like I feel like you've earned it. You put the work in, and uh, you wrote a great book, and now you know it's on to the next. Whenever that happens.
1: Thanks, Brad. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me.
0: Okay. There you go. Shane Jones. His novel is called Vincent and Alice and Alice. Available now from Tyrant Books, the official August selection of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. Vincent and Alice and Alice by Shane Jones. Go get your copy immediately. If you want to find Shane on Twitter, his handle over there is at hi shane jones, h i shane jones. Thanks to Kill Rock Stars and the band Stereo Total for the theme song music. Thank you to Tiger in My Tank for the interstitial music. If you want to support the program, throw some nickels in the proverbial coffee tin. You know what I mean. patreoncom slash pod you want to write to me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Don't forget about the Other People app. It's free. The Other People with Brad Listy app is free. It's free. It's a good way to listen. Thanks to LitHub for syndicating the program. Next week, I will be talking with. Chris L. Terry He's got a new novel out called Black Card Good time with him Stay tuned for that I'll be back from uh, my Sojourn I don't know what kind of condition I'll be in Hopefully I'll be rested I could use a little rest Gonna have to head out soon Go back to that cafe Bring in my dog hopefully i'll see that guy fuck that guy i will not be deterred i will not let my dog be discriminated against in such an unfounded and vicious way by the way like who just like says rude things like that with an earshot of somebody what are we what are we becoming as a species Don't answer that.